we have a few content warnings for this episode. We do talk about self-harm, suicide, childhood sexual assault, and domestic violence while discussing. Greetings, you're listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. My name is Pace Warfield May, and I am the amazing use of CGI that makes its debut <laughs> appearance in this film for the first time in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Hashtag sarcasm. You are much better than the CGI pace. Aww. <laughs> um, and I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the video game soundtrack playing in the background especially dies. And I am J.R. Lacht, and I'm the extended action scenes of falling down hills. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! in the movie. That was so And bad. I'm still falling as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. So, um, for all of our listeners at home or wherever you may be, at work, in the car, exercising, I don't know what, I don't know your life, but whatever you're doing, as you're listening, we have back with us J.R. Lux, who um, you may remember from our episode last year on Gremlins, which was really fun, Mm -hmm. plus a few Patreon movie commentaries, like Home Alone was one. I can't remember the other one, but we did a few ones last December. It was a lot of fun. Um, And uh, J.R. is my bestie from college back when we went to Teal College in Northwest Pennsylvania, um, little tiny liberal arts college associated with the Lutheran church and all sorts of fun stuff. But now you live in California and I live in Minnesota and Emily lives in Baltimore. So we're all over this country at the moment. Mm-hmm. Also the state that I live in is Maryland. Baltimore's not. It is its own county though. So there we go. Baltimore City is not a county. It is a county, though. Yeah, but not Baltimore City. Baltimore City is a county. No, it doesn't have all of the things that a county has. Those are state-run. Yes. Because of racism. Yes, it is one of, I think, only two uh, two cities in the country that do not have that are kind of like its own jurisdiction without a county jurisdiction. The other one is San Francisco, if I remember correctly. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. This one is like a white noose. Baltimore County is the around Baltimore. Yes, yes. Well, that's what I mean. Like Baltimore County is not Baltimore. Baltimore City is not in Baltimore County. They are two different things, yeah. is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Poorly. And you live in San Diego area, so that's fun. Yes, beautiful. And uh, in the past, I don't know how many years I've been here now, 12 years, it's gotten to like, I, like this huge city now, like it used to be the best kept secret and people just, you know, kind of like, oh, you know, like, it's just overpopulated, but I don't know, it's worth every penny, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, um. Experienced any earthquakes lately? I guess. I don't know. I know. No, I'm not sure talking about the mid times, but that's a whole other story. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a whole other kind of earthquake. <laughs> right, right. Oh, gosh. Yes, we are recording this just a week after the midterm. So that was an yeah. adventure. Yeah, less seismic than I think a lot of us were thinking. I. I guess I shouldn't talk too much about this, but I think one of Brian's superpowers is being able to call elections pretty accurately so everybody was saying like everybody was worried about the losing control of the senate and brian's like that's not gonna happen this is exactly how it's gonna play out and it played out 
exactly as he predicted. Mm -hmm. And this is not the first time he's done that. So um, I don't know what his what his superpower is aside from like working the Senate for <laughs> I mean, a decade. Um, anyway, uh, 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 oh, that's the other thing. With you in San Diego, how's the weather? Yeah. The weather, um, believe it or not, has cooled down significantly. Like, uh, we're finally getting that fall, autumn feel, the sweater weather, finally. Wow. <laughs> That's it's not. I mean, California cold is different. Like, I can't describe it other than, like, you feel it in your bones. Like, I'd rather, I think I was warmer in snow than, like, whatever this is. But. Yeah. I have noticed that in Baltimore too, there's a like chill you to the bones kind of cold that happens in um, ours. It just got up to the 40s. Today, <laughs> the high was 49. Um, but uh, in Colorado, it gets cold, but it's drier. So it doesn't, it's not the chill you. And we had our first significant snow in Minneapolis today a good solid inch of snow. We've had a few like flurries here and there and a tiny bit of sprinkling of snow earlier in October, but I was very pleased to wake up to snow coverage that continued until about two today. So that was fun. I'm very jealous of that. Yeah. You should be. No. <laughs> Everybody should be. My sibling sent me a picture on Halloween of snow. Oh, I remember those days. White Halloweens. I will say, though, it is a shame that you moved away from Kansas a few months before I moved to Minneapolis, because that would have been at least closer. Yeah, it would have been like a few hours as opposed to several. Oh, well, (laughs) Uh, I'll come out there and visit eventually. I hope to. I just... yeah. Tickets are expensive, y'all, on airplanes. Um, as for announcements, um, congratulations to UJR as winning part of the pet contest again. You got the Blu-ray, in case you didn't oh, know. Wow. <laughs> I forgot to tell you. I post on social media, but I haven't like reached out to people individually yet. So congratulations, if you didn't know. Thank you. That should have been been the lead in the bio. (laughs) Right, right. JR, winner of. And this is the second time you've won the bonus prize in a row. So I'm starting to wonder if my random (laughs) wheel that I use on (laughs) Facebook, or not Facebook, on the internet is fixed. So, but cool. Yeah. Yeah, Boba's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's true. Um, What else? Any other announcements? I can't think of any. Um, We have Advent. Advent Miss Finney movie calendar coming up. Oh. Oh, yes. We finally figured out a name for it. Advent Miss Finney, yes. (laughs) And uh, with that, that also reminds me of our Christmas cards and other holiday cards, Mm -hmm. which we have on our Zazzle store, which I will make sure is linked in the show notes. But there are like four or five designs. They're really fun. Um, I am planning on ordering some this week for my Christmas cards I send out every year. So, which reminds me, I need both of y'all's address, especially you, Emily, since you just moved. I'm pretty sure I can find yours, JR. It's just a question of me being lazy and not wanting to look, <laughs> look up like files wherever I have it hidden digitally on my computer somewhere. Um, oh, and then the other thing is. What have y'all been watching? Have y'all been watching anything spooky lately? I want to hear all the things. I watched the Ewoks Christmas special Caravan of Courage with you, Pace. That was its own kind of spooky. (laughs) Oh, for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, I also... mm. Oh, go ahead, please. No, go. I was going to say, please tune in to a dot 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 potential question mark future season question mark on maybe something related to Ewoks, Ewoks? question 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 mark um because mm. uh, I'm sure that is going to get a special place in our coverage of that franchise because you we've already decided that it will but yeah yes yeah also the I watched um a boy called Christmas last night and I forgot how good that movie actually is. I watched it for the first last year, and I think it came out last year. It's a, like, 
Santa origin story. It's a Santa origin story, but it's adorable. And there's a beginning part where the king is like, everybody is all sad. Do you know what we need? And he has gathered like all of these people barely surviving. And they're like, universal health care, <laughs> living wages, and like suggest all this stuff. And he's like, no, what we need is hope. A little hope. And it's just like. Love it. Too real. Yeah. The actor that plays the king is good, but it's it's an adorable movie. Highly recommend. It did not make it on my, on our Advent Misfiny, uh, on my list for it. So I was like, well, then I can watch it now. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. Um, I watched this movie, which I was telling Emily about, which I think they're actually excited about because I watched this movie called Fall. It came out this year. It's about these two climbers who, uh, daredevil type climbers who climb up a 2000 foot tall radio mast and then the ladder breaks and they're stuck at the very top. Um, and there's no cell phone service. So it's like this kind of survival story as they're getting attacked by hawks and stuff and all sorts of adventures, high winds, oh. 2000 feet off the ground. Um, and it was stomach turningly terrifying for me because I, uh, I am like, scared of heights and like uh i don't know if it's like a true phobic sense but definitely like i am scared it, it was very scary for me to watch um and so as i was telling emily about this emily's like oh i'm not scared of heights in that way so now i think we've decided that we need to cover this movie because it's only fair since i put emily through a lot of scary movies that we cover one that i am legitimately afraid of it's true. It's true. I'm very excited for it. What? <laughs> very movie that I will not be afraid of. Yay. Uh, what about you, Jer? Anything fun you've watched lately? Um, I've been kind of watching The Cabinet of Curiosities on um, Netflix. Yes. Uh, is like one of my all-time great like, favorites. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a lot of uh, criticism on the H.P. Lovecraft episodes. And, um, they all have to, because everyone says they're, they're very hard to adapt the short stories into. But um, it was, it, it's interesting. I, I don't think it quite hit the mark on that, but overall, the series is, is pretty phenomenal. You know? um, but uh, I'm trying to think the last movie I saw in a movie theater was um, Don't Worry, Darling. Have you guys seen that? No. Uh, it, it's worth a watch. I mean, you know, forget about all of the, you know, controversy between the whole uh, director, movie star type thing, but um, as a, you know, homage to, like, I would say, um, Stephen Wives and that whole thing, it, it's pretty good. I mean, um, interesting concept of, you know, I, it's yeah. really good. I love Florence Pugh, so, like, it is on my list. I want to watch it eventually. Midsummer. Um, yep. I think that was the first movie that introduced her to us, you know. Right. And, uh, she's, she's phenomenal in everything that she's doing. I, Here's a question for you, JR, because I can't remember. Did we watch Midsummer for the first time together? We like, did. over Zoom or whatever? Yeah, like did over, Zoom. like, Zoom or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, it was. <laughs> it, was, it was quite the experience for both of us. I, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that would, I think it's the same director that does Hereditary, right? That yep. it, they're in the, the same universe, you know. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, that movie, I'll never get over it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we'll get into our real life church horror story. So we asked this of all of our guests on the show and you've submitted one to our very early mini-sode. So you can go back, listeners, and listen to the one about the crucifix, I think. You were talking about that one. And then we also had one in our Gremlins episode. But do you have a new one to share since there's so much horror related to church? It seems yeah, that. I mean, like, I think anything related to church is horror. But um, uh, I, I do have one other one. I... Have uh, y'all been to, you've been to church conferences, you know, how, like, um, mm-hmm. have y'all ever been to a doomsday conference? 
Ooh. Nope. <laughs> yeah, we're talking. I mean, there, there was a period in my life where, like, I was exploring different types of, you know, faith, religion, and all of that. And um, the brief period in, <laughs> into evangelical <laughs> uh, Christianity, I think, has been had the most lasting impression, and um, that definitely terrified me. But um, this was a conference, like, I call it Doomsday Conference, because that's what it was. It was very much <laughs> um, on the Book of Revelation. And the guest speaker was um, Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Graham Lott. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm still traumatized to this day of this, this, this woman, like, uh, she's very striking gray hair and like blue eyes and she's up up in the pulpit and she's talking basically about how uh her birth was prophetic and uh she was born the same day that Israel became its own like like and uh she it, it was just like this constant and she kept talking about like she's like the time is late but the time is now, like that whole like circle, <laughs> circle way of thinking, like and um like and everybody that spoke, um there was one they did a uh, like grasping at dark connection with uh, the blood moon. Like people are obsessed with astrology and even <laughs> and interesting. And it was just very like. And there were people crying and rolling in the aisles. I've never seen that in person in my life, but um, that is just one experience that had definitely traumatized me. I mean, humans are yeah. scary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and especially in that um, format. like. <laughs> yeah, and it, like the ways that people, when it's gr- large groups, it just like hypes each other up in super scary. I've I there are mega churches I'm sure that are like great and not terrible but every time I've ever been to a mega church like when I was in college and stuff I just like felt creepy and I couldn't put my I like I couldn't tell you why I couldn't put my finger on it but it was just too many people all doing the exact same like the hive mind um, I, you know, I always thought, like, okay, if I'm in a horror movie, I'd like to think that I would be logically, like, get my way out of it, but, um, with this experience, I'm like, I ignored my inner voice <laughs> that said, don't go, like, this is kind of, you know, this is, this is not going to be good, and, uh, yeah, I should have listened to myself, so I'm probably going to die in a horror movie. I mean, you can learn from that experience next time. Oh my gosh. Have either of you seen the movie Red State? No. Directed by Kevin Smith. It is a horror movie about a doomsday Christian sect. Oh, we're going to need to cover this on a future season of HNAZ. It is so creepy, but exactly like what you're saying. Ooh. Okay. Well, I guess to this movie, as Pace crappily transitions, which is the usual. Um, So, (laughs) Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, directed by Rachel Talalay, came out in 1991. When was the first time you've seen this movie? I mean, recently, like a couple days ago, but uh, I'm sure I've seen it on like a Saturday like, like, leave on, um, I don't know, yep. table, but... Or one of the many uh, Halloween parties Pace has had over the years where <laughs> I've done, like, marathons of all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> first time I saw it was, is it Friday night, Pace? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Friday night, watched it for this episode. Yay! Take your shot. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh... I saw this. I saw this movie growing up. Uh, no surprise to anybody uh, listening to all these movies because, like, I've I, to all of our episodes on these movies because I've watched all of them as a kid, pretty much. Um, I don't remember like the f- 
first time I saw this one, but I do remember this is one of the ones I've seen frequently and I loved a lot as a kid because of there are like a few scenes that like just like awaken that memory of like, oh my gosh, I remember watching this as a child. And one of them is the map scene where the map just like unfolds throughout the whole band. <laughs> I, I that love that. Scene. I remember <laughs> Carlos's nightmare pretty vividly. So like there are a few things that like I remember from like early childhood. I remember seeing it the first time. So but yeah. It definitely took me like a bit to realize that the map itself was like expanding and <laughs> multiplying i thought he would just like was having trouble because it's this like comedic thing everywhere that like nobody can like unfold and fold maps and they always are like a mess and then that uh, yep, you yep. fucked at that very last page that that was like, <laughs> that was, was gold mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> Uh, I have a few behind-the-scenes things for this movie. So, um, first, interesting for a lot of people to know is that Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings fame is connected to this movie in a very interesting way. So he was working at New Line Cinema uh, early in his career, just kind of like in the offices and stuff like that. Uh, as they were talking about creating this uh, sixth entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, um, he wrote a spec script for it, and it sounds so good. Like, I wish there, I hope there's an alternate universe out there that when I die and go to heaven or something, I can experience his version of this film. Because basically, his idea was. Uh, is going to be called the dream lover. And um, so basically uh, Freddie became a joke at this point. So a lot of teens in Springwood would purposefully go to sleep, like take dr- uh, sleeping pills or whatever to go to sleep so they could go into dreamscape and beat up Freddie and just like go after Freddie and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so that's kind of how the movie starts out. And then he, Freddy is somehow, because Freddy's so weak and become such a joke over the years. And then Freddy somehow is able to kill just one of the kids. And that's enough to get enough of his power back that he's able to slowly go on an onslaught and kill a lot of the kids. And then the hero gets caught in some sort of accident and is in a coma. So he's perpetually stuck in Freddy's world. So it just sounds like all these great ideas. And I would have loved to have seen how this would have played out. That sounds but, amazing. Right? Um, but as we all know, Peter Jackson has a close relationship and still continues to have a close relationship with New Line Cinema. And of course, New Line was the ones who produced Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit so, and stuff like that. So it's kind of, so this is kind of like the start of that relationship. Uh, so kind of cool. I don't think um, I realized that. Yep. Yep. Uh, but they ended up going with the Lucas script. Uh, and so Rachel Talalay was the line producer for so many of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. I think the first four, she wasn't for five. Um, so she basically, when they were coming out with this film, that's obvious, <laughs> right? <laughs> that she wasn't involved in part five. Yes. Um, but she was basically went up to Bob Shea and says, please let me direct this one. I kind of feel owed uh, that like it's owed to me. And so they said, sure. And uh, Rachel had worked with John Waters a few times, most recently on Crybaby, And so she was, uh, and Johnny Depp, of course, was in Crybaby, so she was able to get Johnny Depp back for a cameo. And also, uh, it just this feels like it could be a John Waters film. It's very campy. Yeah. It's very intentionally like kind of queer and funny and a self parody. And a lot of John Waters crew members were working on it, and so it just feels like it kind of could exist in that world. Um, there are a oh, and then also there's a lot of. <laughs> Because this is Hollywood and it can't help but be sexist, apparently a lot of the producers, not Bob Shea, of, um, he seems to be, have been good about this, but like uh, the other producers were sending uh, Rachel notes as she was directing it saying like, don't make it too girly and stuff like that because whatever, a, a woman director is going to automatically make it girly. Sure, whatever. But um what does that even mean? Right? right? Who knows? Um, 
There are a lot of big name actors in this, Lisa Zane, Yafet Koto, Brecken Meyer. And then there are a lot of cameos in this. So we had Roseanne Barr, Tom Arnold, Alice Cooper, Johnny Depp. Um, so this was, Johnny Depp was like at the height of his teen beat stardom um, at this time. So it's like huge for him to come back. And he came back as a favor to Rachel Talalay, but also because he recognized that Nightmare on Elm Street got his uh, start in the film world. Um, but there was supposed to be a cameo, a very John Waters cameo that did not come to pass. So that woman on the airplane at the very beginning who calls uh John Doe a pussy because he's scared of being on the plane was originally going to be divine, but wow. divine had yeah. passed away from uh, complications around sleep apnea and stuff like that a f- few months before filming started. So she wasn't able to be in it, but that was written with her in mind. So huh. that would have been so much better. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it just doesn't work the way it plays now. No. Um, yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, another little behind-the-scenes tidbit, which I think is funny, is the Nintendo Power Glove scene. So uh, when Freddy has that Nintendo Power Glove moment, and he says, and he's playing the video game with Brecken Meyer's character, um, they asked Nintendo if they could use the Power Glove, which was a big thing at that moment in early video game stuff. Nintendo said no. But Bob Shea said, uh, do it anyway, and we'll just apologize later. If they sue us, so be it. We'll set it outside of court. But, like, this sequence, too, is too good. We can't, you know, not do it. <laughs> so they did it, and Nintendo got a huge increase of sales from it. So they ended up working in everyone's favor. Nintendo didn't sue. All that stuff. Um, there's also, also at this point, the films were clearly in, like, decline in popularity. Um so that was kind of what prompted their decision to kill off Freddy is like, uh, if we make this last one, hopefully we can get a good turnout and then there won't be any more, but it'll just be like the last hurrah for Freddy. Mm. They also decided to do a 3D element, which is oh. that final dream sequence when the, she puts on the 3D glasses. From that point on, the film was in 3D, but only that portion. So the first like two thirds of the film was regular 2D. Apparently didn't work because people were confused when they're supposed to put their glasses on and every and it was just a mess. Um, it still kind of looks like a mess even in 2D. Uh, <laughs> and um, I am not a fan of well, I mean, all of us have glasses. I'm not a fan of 3D because I already wear glasses and I don't need right. to wear glasses on top of glasses. Right, right. Um, and then this was the first CGI to be in a Freddy film. Everything before this film was practical effects, and most of the effects in this film were practical as well, except for those weird <laughs> little dream demons that explode out of Freddy's face. Those were a very early instance of CGI being used in a horror film, and it didn't really work. No. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, and then the last behind-the-scenes thing I have for this is that when they filmed this a lot of people were said oh this is the final one sure because friday the 13th had a final friday sort of thing uh when jason dies in part four uh halloween killed off michael myers in part two but of course both franchises brought their slashers back and stuff like that in the 80s so everyone's like oh the, oh they're gonna do this too like it was inevitable I mean, that freddie was gonna come back already done it Right. right. They've already supposedly killed off Freddy and then brought him back. Yeah, but I mean, like, that happens all the slashers, the trope of like they kill this guy at the end of the movie, but then he somehow comes back. But like in both Friday the thirteenth and Halloween, they like publicize this is the last one. He's mm-hmm. actually dead. And then a film or two later, they come back. Um and so people all thought that was gonna happen here, or that this was just kind of a gimmick, but it but from interviews at the time and stuff, it sounds like they really, really thought that this would be the last one. Um, and we're kind of planning on that. And then we'll get to how Freddy kind of gets a little bit revived in the next movie. Um, so stay tuned for two weeks from now when we cover <laughs> Wes Craven's new nightmare about how Freddy gets brought back in a sense in that movie. So uh, that's it. Any of you have behind the scenes stuff I missed? Pace, do I? 
ever have behind the scenes stuff <laughs> for horror movies? Uh, fair. Fair. Okay, well then I guess we'll get into the summary of this movie. So, when it starts out, there's this opening crawl that basically says that this is set in the future. Even though everything is clearly, like, early 90s everything, so not set in yeah, the future. What is, what is future about it? Right. Is it just that there They're trying to like been time for Freddy to have killed all the kids of Springwood, yeah. Okay. I think that's all it's supposed to be, but whatever. Um I mean, and starts, also like his kid to have grown up. That that's yeah. the whole thing. Yes, yes. Yeah, um so it starts off with the airplane scene, like I was saying. There's this last kid from Elm Street trying to escape Ohio, um, but doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, that that was like a whole weird thing. And then I was like, oh, it's like the Wizard of Oz. And then it was. And I was like, yes, <laughs> got it. And plus, it's like the extra queer coding of the Wizard of Oz and Friends of Dorothy and all of yep. So right off the bat, we know that this is going to be a very campy, self-referential movie because of stuff like that, quoting Wizard of Oz and the queerness of Friends of Dorothy and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then this kid, we never learn his name, but he wakes up. He has no memory. Cops, surprise, surprise, don't want to deal with paperwork or be responsible or do their job or actually help anybody. So they get make it the bleeding heart's problem and drop him off at a trouble youth shelter where he is named John Doe since he has amnesia. Like, they don't even let him pick his own name. Right. <laughs> cool. Uh, but we meet our new cast of characters. We have Doc, uh, played by Yafet Koto, who is a therapist who specializes in dreams. Uh, Maggie is a social worker at the youth shelter. Tracy, Spencer, and Carlos are all youth at the shelter. And we can also tell this one is different because we don't get our little icebreakers, one or two fun facts about them, like we did in all the <laughs> other ones. We actually kind of get introduced to these kids and get to know them a little bit more and more in depth. I mean, we, we still learn like a few. One dose of trauma and one dose of personality. True, yeah. true. But still, an improvement over the past three, I would say. Okay, fair. Yeah. Um, so we find out that Maggie has been having some strange dreams that seem to eerily coincide with John Doe's. So she takes him to Springwood to see if it will help revive his memories. And the other three teens all sneak along for the ride. Accidentally. Uh, while trying yes. to escape to get JR. Obviously. Yep. In the lovely weather. Um, also, then the teens, when they do, like when Maggie finds them and sends them back, they get stuck in the town. And I was like, this? This is children of the corn. This is how it happens. Ooh, look at you. You've hosted one and a half seasons of this podcast and you're already making references to other horror movies. I'm so proud. I know. And it was a good reference too. And it's to yep. one that we've covered in this season. Yep. Very proud of myself. <laughs> so while we are in Springwood, we learn a few things. First, we learn that Freddie apparently had a kid and John thinks he's that kid. Of course. Confused on how the timing works that like, this is why it's a vague sometime in the future, right? Because yeah. the possibility of both John and Maggie, Maggie? Yeah. Both John yeah. and Maggie, like, being possible kids. There's probably a 10-year difference in age between them, at least if she's a social worker, which requires a master's degree. Yeah. Same. Uh, we also learned that all the adults of Springwood have outlawed children, so Freddie can have no power. They live in this weird kind of like mass hypnotic dreamlike state where there's like this weird carnival with no kids. There's a teacher that is teaching a classroom, teaching a classroom to empty <laughs> chairs. It's just like, what is going on in this weird town? Yeah. Uh, and we also learned that Freddie needs someone to regain his power, so he needs new kids, which is allegedly why he sent John to get new kids. Um, sent his son, as John thinks, to get new kids. But we learned that this white dude is not the center of the story like he thinks he is. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> right? Um, so while we are, so while the teens are lost there, they end up at this house. Uh, Spencer 
dies in a video game dream. Which, like, Spencer's the pothead, right? And he gets sucked in this TV. Like, practically jumps in to the TV cartoons because the all the cool colors and all of that stuff. And you're just like, get in there. Admittedly, I mean, Iron Butterfly was playing, so of course we were jumping through the TV. And I got it to Vega. Yeah. Admittedly, the Nintendo, like the, nin- the whole Nintendo scene is really cool. And I really like that. It was probably one of my favorite, but. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> and then we also get a fun dreamscape for Carlos, who dies in this weird warehouse. But like this dream is really creepily well done with like the way that first his hearing aid is removed and so he can't hear and there's this weird like silent scene and then he gets back in but it's like too loud and like then there's the nails on the chalkboard so like it's just really kind of creative and stuff Mm -hmm. so there's all sorts of weird this is another one of those dreams that just like has stuck with me from early childhood to now as like very vividly stuck with me like I was telling you before, like this was the one that I was covering my eyes for. Like I don't normally have that reaction, but it was a very like visceral react- reaction out of me. Yeah, yeah. I actually took my headphones out before the before Freddie's nail on the chalkboard because, like, I cannot like knowing how loud the pins falling <laughs> was. I can't like I can't I, I don't do well with nails on the chalkboard anyway and I was like this is gonna be extra loud and so I just like took them off and had them like at a distance and then put them back in <laughs> yep, yep. and Tracy and John Doe go into the I in my head like he had a name and I just so this is fascinating to somehow I like thought he had a name um but they go into the dream to find Carlos um and Tracy then pulls herself out because she actually like has been working with Doc on put herself in and pull herself out by burning her arms. And there was this like the thing that came to mind to me me was Kate Bornstein's book, A Hundred and One Things to Do Instead of Suicide. That's not the exact um, title of it, but it's like she knows that if she stays in the dream, she is going to die. And so burns herself which is self-harm um but is also like saving her which like is a very complicated space i think um but also an Mm -hmm. important space to recognize that like harm reduction is a thing and in this case that's what that was yep yep and john doe is still asleep because he was like no just hit me with the giant piece (laughs) of wood right I love that scene when she just appears next to him. And it's like, what? I, I know how to do this. Doc taught me. Like, you don't have to do it that way. It's so fun. Um, that made me think of who was it? Was it um the fourth one with um the Dream Warriors? Was it was it? Oh, that's number three. Yeah. Yeah. It made me think of I don't know. She made me think of Rosanna Arquette. Is that her name? Rosanna or um Patricia? Patricia. Yeah, I knew yep. that. But that whole part made me think of. Uh, like but yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 especially how patricia arquette as kristen was able to like just pull nancy into a dream without like just kind of cool that's her power yeah yep. power yeah um so as you're saying emily john doe is still asleep um and so he dies on the way back to the shelter but as he's dying he kind of learns that the kid of freddie was not him but what a us? girl that he huh? was sent to find. Huh, weird. Dun, dun, dun. And we get some convenient flashbacks from Maggie that she realizes she is actually Freddy's child. Yeah, that's, that's rough. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, Doc thinks, so, so I guess like Star Wars level of being related to each other in this universe. <laughs> uh, yes. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, Doc thinks that. Uh, th- so then Maggie and um, 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 Tracy all end up back with Doc, and they consult him, and he says that he thinks Freddy gets his power from these three de- dream demons of Sumerian legend. Uh, so another just like let's pull it out of a different culture and not actually do any real research kind of moment, but cool. Uh, 
we've we've come across this a lot in our Twilight episodes. <laughs> I'll go back and listen to that. Um, but apparently, uh, Freddy can be killed in the real world. So it's kind of similar to the tactic Nancy does in the first movie. I was going to say, it felt vaguely familiar. Right, right. So Maggie pulls Freddy into the real world where he gets beat up by Doc, Tracy, and Maggie. Uh, He dies with a pipe bomb in the real world. And since he's in the real world, uh, dream demons can't revive him. And so they escape in that bad CGI. And then we learn that Freddy is apparently finally dead. Ooh. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, though we don't exactly see a body. True. We see a body True. in the place and then the pipe bomb and then the demons, the dream demons, Freddy's dead body. Correct. We did not. Just like we do not see his dead body in the first one when Nancy supposedly kills him by turning her back on him. He just disappears. Interesting. We will see. So what's interesting for our listeners who are following along with this franchise with us as we're watching it and have not seen it for the first time, uh, have not seen it before and are watching it for the first time or don't know much about it. Uh, the next. Emily. Yes. Which is Emily. Uh, the So you're not alone in this. You have Emily to help guide you through this as a first time experience. Um, that sounds vaguely sexual, but. Oh, face of her um no but but also like everybody else gets to be like oh this is what it's like to watch these movies for the first time as an adult right right but uh so the next movie in the franchise uh is Wes Craven's New Nightmare which does not take place in this continuity I'm not gonna say more about that because I want Emily to be surprised as they watch it for the first time so this continuity does not pick up again until Freddy versus Jason, which ta- which um, came out over 10 years later after this one. So it's a really long time before we, we revisit this continuity um, and we'll kind of see what, what Freddy has been up to in those 10 intervening or so years when we get to that movie in a few weeks. Okay. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm here for it. I'm going to watch. Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, kind of have to, but <laughs> details, details. <laughs> uh, my interest. Yeah, and just a reminder for <laughs> listeners that yes, we are going to bring this back up in our retrospective when we talk about which uh, Freddy continuity is which gospel accounts. We're gonna get there. That's true. Oh, so I shouldn't say what I think this. Well, this is still part of that original continuity, so even though. It kind of okay, but within a few things within this continuity, as we yeah, go for it, our deep dive, deep dive music that I deep diving, diving deeply, deeply diving, diving deeply. You're welcome. Yeah, I was gonna say you better be careful, or we're gonna re- use that as a clip too. We'll just, just go back and forth, or put us like both side by side. Anyway, um, I think that this because this has a like new-ish Freddy origin story like the original mm-hmm. Freddy origin story but a new-ish like how Freddy became a nightmare um that and it feels very John-like like the gospel of John Matthew Mark or Luke yeah where like there's just this mystical magical being that em- three of them that embody Freddy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and so like does it give us like it gives us new information about Freddy's origin, but does it co- contradict anything we've seen in the franchise thus far? I don't think it really does. The way that like Freddy's Nightmares TV show like is actually it's contradicting stuff. That, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 weird though. Either way, but we also see Freddy was kind of abused as a child by. His dad, who was played uh, once again by Alice Cooper, and there's a funny line in um, uh, in the Never Sleep Again documentary where Alice they're interviewing Alice Cooper and how excited he was to be part of the franchise. But he's like, "They blame me and my music for the Vietnam War. They played blame me and my music for um, devil worship and all this stuff." He said, "Now they can blame me and my music for Freddie." <laughs> <I love it. laughs> so. 
And so, yeah, that's how he gets his dream demon powers, though. Cool. So he's a dream. So he's possessed by three dean dream demons, and he's also the master of the nightmare gate. We learned that from part four. So those are kind of like the two aspects of his origin, supernatural aspects of his origin story that the main franchise continuity tells him. Wait, what nightmare? Remember how there's the two gates? Al- Alice oh, is the garter of the like good dream gate, and he's the guardian of the bad dream nightmare gate. Oh, yes, that falls binary. But... Yep, yep. <laughs> right. Uh, and then we also have, uh, so we have a rare depiction of somebody, uh, of a disabled person who is hard of hearing or deaf. It's not quite clear uh, what his hearing ability is. Um, but in the, as depicted in this film. And so, yeah, that's good, bad, weird. I don't know. What, what do you all think? Well, I mean, I don't think, I mean, for someone that is deaf, um, it, it was interesting to see that. And um, what I liked about it was that it wasn't like, like that wasn't his whole personality, but of course that wasn't, for, like that wouldn't be right for this type of movie, but um, it was. I don't know. Um, I didn't feel like it was bad or good. It was just like an interesting, like, cause I mean, Carlos's nightmare was pretty, pretty uh, creative and out there. Um, especially and the whole Q-tip thing. I mean, like, talk about one of the most. Uh, um, rough, intrusive thought that we all have with Q-tips. Like, I mean, I know that's one of my fears, uh, you know, like, getting a jam right. in my ear, like, but uh, I don't know. What, what do y'all think? Yeah, the the Q-tip thing was, that was, that was one of the, like, oh yeah, I can, like, I want to close my ears and just, like, cover them. Um, yeah. But I, I really appreciated, and it's a little bit the whose gun is it Chekhov's gun mm-hmm. that where like Spencer had turned his hearing aid off at one point when he and Tracy were like arguing or Tracy was saying something and he was just like I'm done listening to you and just like turned his hearing aid off um and Carlos came back and was like oh we're gonna flip that button wait am I switching them other way around yeah, yeah okay. Carlos, Carlos turned it off Spencer turned it on Carlos turned it off and Spencer turned it back on um, and then to have it like come back around, I thought, and to portray, I think it's really easy for demonization and villainization to ha- to be like disabled characters are demonized and villain. But in this, it was hearing was the horror at one point. Like there was a mm-hmm. sense of um, not hearing without consent is horror is part of the nightmare cuts off his ear and it all goes sad and then when freddy put the like freddy on then hearing itself <laughs> becomes the horror yeah um and that i'm in particular thinking about like people um in the deaf community who like that's an entire culture community it's a whole thing and not everybody wants to hear and so like that space to actually like allow room for hearing can be horror it is not the automatic everybody wants yeah so i i thought that that was done really interesting and that was really like i mean i know i really like the nintendo video game scene that was mostly nostalgia but this one i thought was fun it felt really well done yeah i have to say as much flack as the 80s slasher franchises get and a lot of it is deserved of course both friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street have a character in it featured um fairly prominently in one of the films who is disabled in friday friday the 13th part two i want to say or part three one of the two one of the characters is paralyzed from the waist down and uses a wheelchair as a mobility device um and that's just part of his character. It's not like turned into anything. Uh, it's a little bit Chekhov's gunny about like how when he's killed, 
uh, he gets the axe to his head and then it pushes a wheelchair backwards down the steps and stuff. But like, even so it's like not done in an exploited exploitive way as a lot of Hollywood films do about horror. So I just find it very interesting that of all the places for disability to show up and have not the, not the best representation, but at least some representation that it's a horror that is these two eighties horror franchises that do a surprisingly good job, especially for the time period that they are in. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm street had a character who used a wheelchair. Yes. That was, I think, a little. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is tricky when, like, we got to know these characters a little bit more than the other Nightmare on Elm Street characters, but <laughs> there is this, like, okay, is Carlos's disability then going to be his like one characteristic? And so then, if you have a disabled character, their one characteristic disability, or are we still mm-hmm. like making them? more nuanced characters or at least like having still a total interest in them. Yeah. I, um and this one like they did that pretty well but it 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 makes me like weary where makes me a little bit wary when I'm like okay I know this franchise only gives people one characteristic. Yeah. And now this person has a disability is that their one characteristic and Carlos actually like mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about dream stuff as well, so I'm not going to go too much into that aside from this weird legend about three deemed, de- dream demons, apparently. So, like, is that like a reversal of the Trinity? I don't know. Maybe. Um, there was, <laughs> speaking of church horror, there was an evangelical sermon I sat through once where the preacher told me, uh, told the congregation that. Just as there is a holy trinity, there is an unholy trinity of Lucifer the father, the antichrist son, and the demonic spirit or the evil spirit. So apparently that's part of some iterations of evangelical fundamentalist Christian lore, which is completely extra biblical. So I mean, technically, (laughs) the word trinity never in the Bible either. So, But yeah, that is... Not to be confused with anti-heroes. Mm-hmm. And also, like, this this was also the film where finally we hear every town has an Elm Street, right? Which Pace has pointed out that that was, like, the point of Nightmare on Elm Street for Wes Craven in the original was, like, every town has an Elm Street. This is something that happens everywhere. And then all of a sudden it got twisted into... Elm Street is the place and that is the thing. <laughs> um, but there's so much in the film. So much of the horrors in the film are horrors in every town, right? Like we have harmful pressure from dad. Um, at, like in the space where Spencer, like we find out that Spencer, I think it happens at the beginning, but then it like happens in the video game really explicitly that the dad is pressuring him to be this certain type of thing and eventually spencer like gets the courage to challenge dad Uh, but then there's also like the abuse and like just like all of the different ways that there's sexual abuse child abuse and domestic abuse the movies whether it's perpetrated by freddie on freddie or like the the characters backstories and those i was a domestic violence aware response training a couple weeks ago and it's just so quieted we just don't talk about them the conference the training i was at was specifically for clergy how do you talk about actually talk about domestic will and there are like pastors who think they've preached about domestic violence and their parishioners think they've never heard a sermon on domestic violence and disconnect and that space where it, it really has to be explicitly because it's a horror everywhere every town and the like misogyny yeah. of thing of like john doe automatically assuming he's the kid the same age as the kids <laughs> who were getting killed however many years ago right couldn't have been alive in that right unless like he was the grown-up version of the dream child that was potentially fathered by freddie that's alice's kid or something i don't know right but even like <laughs> um 
just to quick touch on the domestic violence thing and bring that uh, uh, reiterate that for our listeners who are not fam- familiar with it. Um, and saying this is someone who used to work at a domestic violence shelter uh, is that exactly like you said, Emily, like it, it's everywhere. And a, a lot of people think of it as more of a, like there's a lot of social stigma around it. It was people experience domestic violence primarily of a certain type of class or race or economic group and stuff. But that reality is it's across the strata of everything. It's just that people of um, lower incomes tend to not have as much support systems in place to get them out of abusive situations. So that's potentially where some of that stigma comes from, but it really it affects um, everybody, all genders, no genders. And, and um, there's like other people of color in, exactly. in terms of like exactly. safe and what is. And also the fact that many police perpetuate domestic violence in mm-hmm. their households. But I don't want to get into that right now. No, <laughs> but that is that's statistically significant. It's true. True. Significant. So there's also the like reality that your DNA, your biology, your family of origin does not determine your destiny. It does not have to. Mm-hmm. You can always just use those tools. Kill your dad. <laughs> right. For the record, as we say on Nerds at Church, murder bad. But also, using the master's tools to dismantle the master's house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything you got, JR, that we haven't covered yet? Or they want to get into? No, I mean, kind of got kind of ready. But I did, uh, um, did you see the end credits of the movie? You see all of those cameos. Um, did you see what the credit is, Johnny Depp? No, I missed it. Uh, Johnny Depp is credited as Oprah Nibomanta. <laughs> Fun. Nice. Yeah. That also explains your your name. Uh, for our listeners at home who cannot see the way we record in Riverside, we often pick funny names for ourselves. Um, and this is kind of an Easter egg just for ourselves because we never release it anywhere. But um, that is the name JR signed up with today. I love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I totally yeah. missed that in the credits. <laughs> yeah, we find some rings, have some stuff back there. But, um, I also really liked the intro of that movie. And I was like, who is this? And I realized it was Iggy Pop. And I was like, of course, mm. I like, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, this is like, just like um pop cultural moment. Like for as much as, you know, as campy as it is or whatever you want to say about this movie, but it really does kind of encompass what was really fun about the 90s, I think. Right, right kind of like a last hurrah to I mean kind of that transitional thing of like a last hurrah to the 80s where Freddy the Nightmare on Elm Street series like had its birth and then as it's transitioning to the 90s and kind of like looking forward to a new decade it's just really captures that well I agree with you well I guess we're to rating the movie and before we do so I just want to uh, I, did, I forgot to touch on this in the um, behind the scenes, but this movie is consistently rated one of the worst movies in the franchise. And so I'm very curious to see what all of you all say, because, and, and I feel like Why for once I want to ratings? rate it. What? Why does it get bad ratings? Uh, well, the, well, uh, a lot of people think, it, well, it's not I mean, scary. Besides misogyny. Yeah. It's not scary. It's um, very jokey and self-referential, and there's only three kills in it, I think. Well, four if you count Freddy. So it's just like, if you're going to the movie to see a slasher movie, or if you're going to to the movies to see something in the line of the Freddy movies that have come before, this is clearly markedly different. So I feel like a lot of people don't like that. And yeah. development. So, well, then I guess, well, then I guess my point was my going is, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess my point then is moot because I was going to want to rate it last to see where it fell because I didn't want to influence you all by giving it a really high rating because I, I love this one, <laughs> I really do. It is like, so um. And anyway, who wants to start? Rate it out of so this season because it's our Nightmare on Elm Street season. 
uh, we are rating it out of 10 nightmares. So you can interpret that however you want, JR. Um, okay. We tend to interpret nightmares as the more nightmares it is, the better of a movie it is. But um, that's up to you. And also, do you have a favorite kill? Oh, okay. Uh, I would probably give this, because, I mean, in the realm of the whole series, it, it does, it is different, but I I really enjoyed it. So I would say like a seven, seven and a half nightmares. Nice. You know? Like, it's, it, I mean, I don't want to like put it down that low, because it really wasn't, you know. And um, my favorite kill, <laughs> um, I think it was the whole Spencer thing. Like the video like, game. Okay, but like the whole video game thing, only for him to like, you know, fall into a hole. Like, <laughs> I mean, right? that was very video gamey. I thought that was awesome. Like, you know, yeah, like Super Mario jumping off into a, you know, like a off the ledge, uh, like, you know, get eaten by a plant, or whatever. But yeah, I also really liked this movie. I thought it was really well done. I had zero jumps. So that is consistent with it not being, um, also it's just not the, the Freddy movie. None of the Nightmare on Street have been particular. I'm sure we will get into the jumpiness in the point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No spoilers, but mm-hmm. <laughs> And I really liked it. I, I think I'm going to go for a nine. Ooh, I like that. Okay. I, was, I was debating a little bit between eight and a half and nine, but I think I'm going to go for a nine. Um, partly to like screw you misogynists because you know that some <laughs> of the n- negative ratings are because it was directed by a woman um, and I really liked Spencer's death too but I also like I don't know there's so many good deaths in like the, the death scenes are actually unique and mm-hmm. meaningful and like related which they did a little bit in like the last I think with like the comic book type of thing yeah. um but yeah, so I think I'd probably would do Spencer, but also Carlos. I don't know Spencer and Carlos. Yeah, yeah. And also, Freddy's was not my favorite because there's yeah. a lot that I'm. Um, I, but yeah. And also, just I have to say, like, Freddy has had more spectacular deaths in past entries. So for this one to be his like ultimate death is kind of a little bit of a letdown, I think, compared yeah. to some of the other ones. So. Yeah. And it's just a complicated one. Just Maggie is the one who kills him and then also like puts on his glove to kill him and there's like a psychological thing that freddie is trying to get her to do that to kill him and so then it's like freddie is trying to get her to become him the next iteration i'm not here for that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh wow y'all both rated it highly and i love that because i was worried that y'all might be lower like a lot of the fan base um so you should know us better than that pace well yeah i um i think i'll do 8.5 out of 10 nightmares so like higher than you i know this is one of the firsts uh aside from maybe our boot tube on vampirina where (laughs) you (laughs) that's because it was vampirina and my favorite four and a half year old watches that so yeah, like definitely eight nightmares with uh, the half of one being one of those dream demons escaping from Freddy's face. <laughs> um, and my favorite death, I would say Carlos is my favorite dr- nightmare sequence in this, but not my favorite death. Cause like when he I finally dies, he his ex- head just exploding. It's like a little bit of a letdown compared to like how, amazingly well-crafted the rest of the dream was so i think i'll agree that spencer's probably the best death or actually i'm gonna change it it's gonna be john doe because john doe you're like the movie is purposely trying to make you think john doe is the kid of freddie and then when he just dies and like halfway through he doesn't make it to the end of the movie it's like okay cool i like it i'm changing my mind another time my favorite death is Johnny Depp when he gets hit in the face with a frying pan. Because who oh, hasn't yeah. wanted to do that to Johnny Depp? <laughs> <laughs> so, it's one of those. One of those. So I'll just say that. Um, so thank you all. Uh, 
Our next movie is going to be The Addams Family, uh, 1991. It's coming out on Thanksgiving with returning guest L. Dowd. Last year, we did Adam's, the, um, Adam's Family Values with L. Dowd. It was so fun that uh, for Thanksgiving so that we decided again this year to do the first one in that franchise and uh, bring her back, and it was awesome. Super awesome. So, um, uh, but JR, where can yeah. where can our listeners find you, follow you? Um, well, my uh, handle on uh, Instagram is uh, Pop Culture. Um, so you'll find a lot of my artwork. Um, that's where I'm most active. But um, other than that, no. Is it? Do you have any like, projects coming up or anything about? No, I'm like I'm kind of like reconnecting with my creative side and trying to get back and you know like because most of my time is spent working, so you know I'm trying to connect with that. But I'll get back in, into writing soon, and when I do have something like that, I will definitely let you guys know. You know. Awesome. And of course, uh, one more shout out to Boba, who was an entry in this year's <laughs> pet costume contest and was so adorable as a little jack o' lantern. So, oh, that might uh, be a stage parent thing, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Boba was fantastic. Puppers and tiaras. That needs to be the new show instead of toddlers oh, and tiaras. Puppers and tiaras. No, there's something that starts with a P. We can make this alliterate. Puppers in pajamas. Puppers in. <laughs> Pink. <laughs> the P is silent. Love it. Okay. Yeah, I'm here for that, though. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, BooTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It's only $5 to sign up, way cheaper than the gas to get to. Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at horrornerdsatchurch, and Twitter at HNACpod, H-N-A-C-P-O-D, for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time. Oh, I had one. <laughs> next time, your big bosses in the video. Ooh, I like that. I was gonna say maybe something like, "Until next time, remember there's an Elm Street in every town" or something. Oh, Ooh. I like yours. Yeah, every town has an Elm Street. <laughs>